Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm so excited to introduce Jennifer Mertzer. Jennifer is a serial entrepreneur and the current CEO of Metazoa, a B2B software development company where she applies her extensive experience in enterprise SaaS products. Prior to founding Metazoa, Jennifer co-founded and exited Dream Factory Software, where she launched half a dozen Salesforce app exchange products and built a RESTful API platform for mobile application developers. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It is such a pleasure. You have had an incredible ride, and I'm so excited to kind of share your story with our listeners because it's um, so inspiring. So, but first, take us back to Jennifer, the early days, and tell us a little bit about yourself growing up and how you got started um, in the business. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, um, I'm i from Tennessee. I graduated from University of Tennessee, actually, in anthropology. So not your typical, <laughs> <laughs> not your typical path to um, Silicon Valley, high-tech uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, but, uh, and I'm not using that degree clearly, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. um, well-rounded education. Um and I moved to London after college. I wasn't ready to go to grad school, and I obviously never did go to grad school for archaeology or any of those fun things. Uh, my first job was actually with a company that was acquired by WebMD, and I might mm. has been at that time as well, and he had a software company. So we decided to make the move to Silicon Valley, and uh, at that time, I was working remotely for WebMD, and that's not really fun when you're 25 years old, 26 years old. So uh, yeah. with another startup called WebEx, which obviously since went public and um, was acquired by Cisco, and, and that was my first foray into really coming out here, being in Silicon Valley, being in high tech. And so it's it's very odd. I graduated in anthropology, and I've only been in high tech. <laughs> So I think that's pretty inspiring to a lot of young entrepreneurs out there. It just goes to show it doesn't really matter, right? It really doesn't. And, you know, you'll you'll find your way. I think it's there's a lot of pressure on kids these days to figure out what they want to do uh, and know that going into college and, and, of course, then coming out of college. And, and we don't always know. Some do, but I did not, clearly. Well, let's just take a, a, a tangential um, left-hand turn here for a second. And do you have kind of an opinion on what you think early on for college students um, is kind of a big determinant in terms of being successful in an entrepreneurial life? I mean, do you feel like being, for example, very curious or adventurous? I mean, is there a little bit of a secret sauce that you'd like to throw out there? Sure. And it's interesting because my daughter is turning 17 this month. And so uh, it's very timely. We're, yes. we're, looking at, we're looking at colleges. We're talking about colleges. And my husband, who actually uh, has a, um, a master's uh, and PhD from Vanderbilt, just side note, he doesn't think college is even necessary. I don't think he's mm. telling that. But, but in private conversations, he really thinks that there's also an option for people just to start in the workforce when they're passionate mm-hmm. about something. Yeah. And, and and then there's the argument that, you know, you're you're missing the experience. I 
definitely think that it is completely fine to be curious. I, I, you know, I was in journalism and photography and communications and dabbled in business, all of those uh, in college uh, as, as majors and minors and actually have a minor in journalism. I think that's, I don't know. I, I personally think that is definitely, um, it's my personality. It's an entrepreneurship, I think, personality where you are not committed to one track and one track only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you uh, when you moved to San Francisco, did you immediately start working in the startup area or did you start, did you get a job in, in kind of corporate America? I did work in the startup area because my first job was uh, with a company that was acquired by WebMD. So we were a mm-hmm. tiny company and then we were acquired. And actually, if it, looking back, I, I worked for a company in London, which was a I was able, I got a, I work abroad visa for a year mm. and that company was acquired by Rosenbluth International. It was a, a corporate travel agency oh. and, and I was actually helping them with their due diligence, which at that time was not online files. So you can imagine there's boxes and boxes of contracts <laughs> in there. Uh, um. but, so, so that was two companies that were acquired. And I think as they started growing, as WebMD started growing, I kind of was looking for a little bit more fast-paced excitement, started at WebEx in 1998. Uh, It was a very small company. I was number five sales rep there. They grew very quickly, uh, went IPO. It was still still, uh, pretty fast-paced, but when it started uh, corporate America and Cisco, I I was ready to move on. Got it. Um, So when did you launch your first company? How long after that? I, it was 2004 really. And Mm -hmm. I, I left WebEx. My husband had a, uh, he had been working with APIs. It was early days APIs when people Mm -hmm. were just starting to dabble with them. And he, he had uh, sold his previous company and we made the decision for me to come on board and help uh, run. He's, he's obviously the engineer and help run that company, which was Dream Factory. And it was, uh, we were trying to sell the technology, which was a little tough. We were meeting with a lot of VCs, uh, meeting a lot of people that were very helpful in the industry and and with regards to getting out there with the technology and and selling. But it was still difficult when you're selling a technology and not really an end product, like an app. Right. And that's when uh, I think one of the VC firms actually mentioned to us, did you know that Salesforce has released a, a palette of their APIs? And that was the game changer for us. And that's where the products came in. So for listeners who might not understand what an API is or why a palette, a Salesforce palette of APIs is helpful, do you mind um, kind of explaining a little bit about both of those? Yeah, not at all. So typically you were pushing things to a server. That was that was prior to APIs. And APIs are allowing you to consume from a server. And so it has an interface. So think of something like a weather app where you're updating it and you're getting all of that information locally or traffic, something like that. It was really early days. Mm-hmm. But Salesforce opening up their API palette It allowed us to use their CRM, their customer uh, management relationship uh, software, 
and make edits to it and customize it and mm-hmm. make products on top of it. So now we're selling to Salesforce's customers like IBM, uh, Grand Central, CNET, uh, companies like that that have uh, Salesforce throughout their entire organization and different departments need different customizations. Does that right, make sense? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you've been working in the Salesforce environment now for, for a while, it seems, I recollect. Yes, we did. So we were one of the very first uh, partners. And one, one thing that was really beneficial at that time is that Salesforce had this these APIs, but they didn't have anything to show. So they're out there talking to analysts uh, and, um, and investors, and, and they're talking about it. And, and as you can see, like you can describe it, but you really want to see what it is. And we were the first developers to build on it. So it was kind of a win-win where we could show what we have built with, along with Salesforce and be there at the very first Dreamforce, which I think had a thousand people. And now it's up to 180,000 last year. Wow. Uh, they've certainly grown. <laughs> they yeah. take over San Francisco. Uh, but we we were one of the first partners. We were one of the first on their marketplace, which is called the App Exchange. And as you mentioned, we we uh, launched over a dozen apps. One uh, being very popular that we created for ourselves called Snapshot, and it was a release management application. Which means uh, as we're developing, we're able to push our code from the sandbox to production and just kind of keep pushing it and developing on top of the platform. There wasn't really anything available. So we created that, and then we thought, well, let's put it on the App Exchange, and it became one of our most popular apps out there. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, that's brilliant, and it's it's a great way to fast-track a tech business because a lot of the fundamental work is already there, plus you already have a whole marketplace at your disposal to sell to if you can find um, utility that isn't being kind of met by their current offerings. Absolutely. I. It's definitely the way to go. And there's a lot of um, companies like SAP and Intuit and Microsoft that have these ecosystems. Salesforce is a little bit more, um, I feel like a closed ecosystem because mm-hmm. we also did leave the Salesforce ecosystem in 2009, uh, right after the credit crisis. A lot of companies were... Uh, pivoting and moving to different technologies. A lot of VCs had to drop their portfolio companies. We were very fortunate uh, with one of our top tier VC firms. We did take funding in 2006, just by the way. And so we had been building the business up until that point. They did not, and by they, I mean our investors, did not feel that there was an exit strategy just being a Salesforce partner on the Salesforce ecosystem at that time. So we pitched again and raised additional funds to go and build an API platform for PHP developers, basically what I say for the whole the, the whole wide world, uh, wow. an open source technology off of the uh, Salesforce platform. So that was almost like a second startup there. That was that was, you know, our second foray into a new business. And it seems like there's really no stopping you right, from continuing to iterate once you have great ideas and you see there's a need for a specific type of product or service within the platform. We did because at that time, everybody was talking about managing APIs. They were, they were, you're building on building and building on top of 
previous APIs and it, it's like a tangled mess. Think about it mm-hmm. like spaghetti or something. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, we realized that's, that bubble is going to burst at some point. We, there needs to be some automation there. And that it was roll your own APIs rather than continue to add on to them. And, it was it was quite successful, and we went out for M and A in 2017, and eventually sold Dream Factory with a successful exit. Yeah, congratulations! That's fabulous. How how have you found um, how have you found the Silicon Valley environment for you as a female leader? Do you have any thoughts around that? Absolutely, and it's changed a lot. I I mean, over the last 15 years, I think it's changed. Uh, in various ways, I do feel like the the younger generation has a lot more options or opportunities or maybe a different mindset. I was uh, doing an interview recently and we were talking about the difficulties of being a young mother or not a young mother, but being younger than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier on in my career, I should say, uh, versus now and really feeling this pressure of deciding do I do I work full time do I not work full time and I I feel like uh women several a generation below me I I feel like they have a lot more option to not make that choice especially now with uh you know being able to work remotely and work from home and it, but at the time it was, it seemed like a bigger deal. And I remember just even at my daughter's elementary school, there was the working moms and the non-working moms. And mm-hmm. I, there's no right or wrong, obviously. It's, it's everybody's uh, choice and what they feel comfortable with. But I do remember missing a, uh, my daughter's like second grade Valentine's Day party and just beating myself up over it. And, yeah. and now 17 and does not remember the second grade Valentine's Day. <laughs> but if it works for some, that's great too. And I also feel like as far as the leadership goes, there was a, a I feel like it was really my mindset. I, I could have spoken up more. I could have implemented my decisions more. And I was able to within the company, but I think sometimes outside of that with investors, I maybe didn't speak up as much as I would now and do now. And uh, as you were going through this process of of starting and building these companies, um, let's switch gears for a second and talk about some of the strategies that that you and your partner, your husband, use to kind of save time, money, gain a competitive edge. Were there some recommendations or special strategies that you used either for time management or leadership or just resources that you leaned into that you found were really effective tools to accelerate your business? Yes, absolutely. Because I think there are different kinds of CEOs, right? There's there's operational, there's sales, there's uh, technical. Uh, Bill is definitely the the CTO, the technical one, and so he can focus on that. But I personally am an operational uh, CEO, and even with Dream Factory, we always seemed much bigger than we were. People would say that. Uh, just to backtrack, we sell into Salesforce's largest, well, I also have a new company, so I guess we could get to that. <laughs> My third startup, which I started in 2018, let me mention that, uh, Metazoa. And that is back on the Salesforce ecosystem. So that's this is my, my third time doing this. And I have learned that setting up processes at the beginning not only is a huge time saver later on, but it's the only way to have sanity. And we're 
we're all, uh, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. So if you're a sales CEO or a technical, maybe find someone to help implement all the operational uh, software and technologies that will help run your company in an automated process. We were doing this even 15 years ago. And I, I was thinking about this recently because obviously we use Salesforce for our CRM. We're talking about building a, another product as well because there's no connector for um, Salesforce and and QuickBooks that we're looking for. And so we're thinking maybe we should just build it. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, we, I, I look for, and there's so many options these days, but I, I look for, you know, even Zapier and Zendesk and we use seamless AI to source leads. We use drip for our campaigns. We use Calendly to book our, our meetings, LinkedIn navigator for the SDRs, uh, Cirrus insight to track all of our emails Upwork to find contractors, and I mean, we even just uh, created a um, certification program. And looking there, there were—I could not believe how many there were. We went with Learn Dash, which is a WordPress uh, WordPress plugin. Um, but there are so many options, and if you go to something like Saster or you know any event, SAS North, there's so many vendors that you can. Uh, choose from these days. So I, I feel like setting those up early is it's difficult. It takes a long time, but it's so worth it in the long run. Okay. So now you just pitched out like 10 great tips. So I'm going to ask you if you don't mind to kind of go back slowly. And again, for the audience, just highlight just what they're for. So let's start with um, Zapier, or if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Zapier. Yes. So I think you need to look at what your, what, what your needs are, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have sales reps, SDRs, you're going to have inside, um, the, the outbound and the inbound. So you're, you need to source leads. So, so seamless AI is where they can source leads outbound and create lists. And then you've got the list that they can email. They would use serious insight is one. Yes. Where's another to then be able to email those leads that they have. Um, oh, I mean, and then you need unbounce so that you make sure that you're compliant with uh, with everything. You're not spamming anyone. LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh, Navigator is a great sales tool. Uh, our SDRs use it constantly. It's a great way for them to to use LinkedIn to to find their audience, our our um, our buyers. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else did I mention? Calendly. Uh, Cal- Calendly. Great. I was talking to my VP of Sales today. He said, "I I can't believe we didn't have this before." And one thing we we just discovered because we're trying to find the lead source. You're you're going to constantly be having conversations where things come out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And we realized we're struggling with the lead source. What campaign got this? you know, Schwab, MetLife, what, what did they click on? And, and then we realized, oh, wait a minute, we can customize all the cal- Calendly links in our uh, email campaigns so that we know what they clicked on to book that meeting and where they came from. You're kind of like, oh, duh, why didn't we oh, do that? Yes, before? that's brilliant, actually. <laughs> and of course, and I Googled it and it came right up. Um, Zendesk for support and knowledge base. That's another one. Uh, just being 
recording movies and getting as much content out there so that people can search for it and find it without coming into support. Um, you know, training using LearnDash, the WordPress plugin. We also use it for our certi certification. And uh, Drip is great for creating all of these email campaigns. I actually found them at Saster, uh, happened to stop by their booth and thought, this is amazing. Mm. Another one is HubSpot, which we used at Dream Factory. They are, are a little bit bigger and more expensive. Uh, yeah, so, yeah but, they're, we use them too. They're great. Yeah, uh, but they are expensive. I think it just depends on where you are in your in your process and in your business. So as we grow, we'll probably move over to HubSpot. Right. I mean, sometimes it's overwhelming, right? Because there's just so much that's being developed on a literally monthly basis to kind of stay on top of the best and the brightest and the quickest and the most economical. You almost yeah. wish there was just kind of a portal that you could go to that would say, here, you should try this. Well, I do think there's a lot of blog posts. We've actually uh, been contemplating writing one and just giving uh, several options in each category. One other thing I want to mention is about fundraising. And back in 2005, 2006, there weren't a lot of options that I knew about uh, with regards to raising money outside of you know private equity and, um, and venture capitalists. And I when we came back with Metazoa, there seems to be so many more options and so many more resources now. And one was revenue-based financing. Mm -hmm. We all need to raise some sort of money, right, to grow our companies. But do you have to raise VC funding right away? You actually don't. And so revenue-based financing is a great option. You can build your valuation, really understand who your customers are, build your customer base. And uh, it's a great way to then, it's, it's uh, what do I want to say? It's, it's kind of an in-between, right? From bootstrapping to yes. fundraising. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, we just hosted a workshop on different funding strategies and we had someone from a revenue-based firm on talking about that. So, you know, there's a, for any founders out there, I would highly recommend to really drill down on what the cost of the dollar is because there definitely is always a cost. Yeah. Um, it may not be called interest uh, in a particular case and some, it may be you're giving up equity, but um, there are a lot of different options now, including crowdfunding, either rewards-based or equity-based, uh, which has its own pros and cons. But yes, for sure. Yeah, a lot of options. And again, oh. th that's another that's another list that you've got to go through and try to figure out what, what works best for your company. Well, I think you definitely should write that blog post. Um, <laughs> I think, and I'd like to get a copy of it so we can post it. I think that would be a great idea. So I have a... Um, I have a question to ask you, a final question. Uh, I can't believe we're almost out of time. So, yeah, which I like, to, I like to ask periodically, which is, um, what is, if you could wave a magic wand and create um, a product or have a product be created for you, um, that would really save you a lot of time and would eliminate all the headaches and currently is that one thing that just drives you bananas what would that one product be that's currently missing that is just the bane of your existence 
okay. So, so one one product I forgot to mention in this is Slack is our probably <laughs> number one uh, communication tool. It was such a lifesaver. I absolutely love Slack. Oh, and Salesforce just acquired them, uh, so that's mm. great. But I feel like one one issue that I always have, and even with a small company and a startup, is just this lack of information sharing. And people just have things in their head, and they oh, I forgot to tell you that. Mm. So some sort of um, where we we have all our meetings on Wednesday and where there's a list of um, I guess it's really kind of project management but but more than that where there's a to-do list that people don't forget about and then prompts them okay mm-hmm. talked about all of these things in this meeting you said you were going to write this blog post you said you were going to we're going to talk about the dashboard all of these things and just kind of pings and yeah. I think that would be very helpful yeah, and kind I, of like a chief of staff to follow you around all the time, yes. but a tech yes. version, right? Yes, yes. So if you yeah. know of any uh, software or technology that kind of does that, please let me know. I would yeah. be interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you, um, I know we didn't get a chance to talk too much about Metazoa, and I, I don't want to be remiss in doing so before we um, sign off. Is there anything in addition you want to talk to, you want to address with the company, with your latest venture? Uh, well, just that we, we're back on the Salesforce ecosystem. Obviously, there are viable exits. Companies are going public. They're being acquired for a billion dollars. Uh, so <laughs> Salesforce has come a long way. The marketplace has come a long way. But uh, we we're working with Salesforce administrators, which is business users, and helping them manage these very large, complex orgs. And we work with a lot of financial and government and healthcare, and it's it's growing like crazy. Salesforce, I think, is five or six times um, their ecosystem is five or six times uh, of Salesforce itself. So, uh, and and they're creating so many new jobs with all of these companies. I think. 37 wow. million, uh, I mean, 37,000 just in 2020 alone with your Salesforce admins and developers. And is it pretty easy for any of our listeners out there who are interested in getting into the Salesforce um, ecosystem and start developing? Is it pretty easy to do so? Yes, absolutely. They're they're really recruiting partners too. They're t- uh, it's, it's a wonderful ecosystem. I highly recommend it. Um, wow. It's a... It's definitely. There's the consultant side too, and ISV, and uh, they will take care of you if you if you're interested. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, we are out of time, and it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey and all your tech expertise. It's really fantastic to hear um, to hear your story and uh, in your husband's story as well. If people would like to learn a little bit more about your company, would you like to share your URL? Uh, sure. It's metazoa.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Also, uh, I, I always try to answer any questions that come my way. Uh, I'm, so anyone can reach out to me there as well. Okay, perfect. And, um, and I'm just going to add your last name is M-E-R-C-E-R in case people want to look you up on LinkedIn. Well, thank you again. And tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. See you next week.
This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.